Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. Now that brings us to step three, uh, which is to understand the history and motive of my disordered eating. Uh, it, you know, if only we could sim- if only we would eat because we were hungry, and stop when we were full. I mean, that seems simple enough, doesn't it? But who does that? Who goes through their day and just naturally? I think I'm hungry, I should eat. I think I'm full, I'll stop. Um, And again, we've talked about from upbringing why that is hard. Um, And so I give you some questions here uh, to help you get to know uh, the history of your relationship with food. Now, this is the part of the seminar that, that I can't write for you. I can't come up and tell you your history of your relationship with food. Uh, But I will draw out an aspect of history uh, that I think often gets overlooked. Uh, The longer we've engaged in our pattern of eating, the less motive it takes in order to enact that behavior. And so, if we've been living the way that we're living for three years, five years, ten years, thirty years, then by that point, whatever the motive is, for why we did that, has long since been forgotten. And so when we, when we raise motive, it just doesn't seem like it fits. Um, and, okay, it is a part of it, but at that point, habit has become much more dominant than motive. As we break habit, chances are that motive is going to resurface but we're going to have to go through a time period of doing some battle with the habit before we see the relevance of that. And that's why we address uh, history uh, before we do motive. And so what are some of the conversations uh, that you would need to have? When did you first become weight conscious? When was the first time that, that you looked in the mirror and felt uncomfortable? Uh, that somebody began to make fun of you in a social setting and you felt shame, when you noticed that a certain body type was ideal and you felt uh, driven to achieve that, uh, what was that? Uh, What are some of your rituals? Family beliefs? uh, Impactful experiences? Uh, How many times have you reached and changed uh, your desired weight? What is like your worst disordered eating day? Um, How many diet and exercise plans have you been on? Um, And and then uh, I think a final one there that's that's important to discuss is how would you define a healthy relationship with food? Because oftentimes we just know things are bad and we don't really know what it would look like for them to be better. Or better is just so unrealistic that nobody ever really lives that way. 
Uh, and so if we, if we don't have uh, a reasonable and accurate picture of what a healthy relationship with food is, uh, then, then we've got an unreachable standard there. And so uh, then we come uh, to motives. Uh, and here, uh, we're, going to, we're going to do two things. We're going to try to identify uh, which motives, uh, I say that in the plural because it's probably more than one, which motives uh, are dominant for us. And then we're going to look at how do we talk to those motives? Because uh, I'm like a pro talk to yourself counselor. I talk to myself all the time. I think you talk to yourself all the time. Nobody is more influential in our life than we are because nobody talks to us more than we do. Uh, and, and so if that is true, how we have conversations in these areas really matter. But before we can have that conversation, we need to identify what the motives are. It, uh, and so one of those is relaxation. Uh, and this is where I told you earlier, a lot of us eat as a form of distraction. And, and I said I was going to tell you why it is that food is such a great distraction. It's because it's multisensory. The more senses, uh, you know, our five senses, sight, sound, touch, taste, the more senses an activity engages, the better it is distracting us from things we don't want to engage. And so food has flavor, it has texture, it has aroma, it has movement. It, food is excellent at distracting us from life. And so in that sense, it can be good to help us relax. Uh, reward. I mean, there's just oftentimes when uh, you know, when right now I'm working on a, a dissertation and, you know, I'm like, hey, look, if I'll just write three more pages, I can go get a snack. And I, you know, the carrot for my day, and it's never a carrot. Who would reward themselves with a carrot? Why do we even do that? Uh, but, but the thing that we put out there for us to kind of, it, it's often food. And, and so that becomes uh, too dominant a part of our reward structure. Then there's control. Uh, and control and appearance, uh, these two are maybe more of the uh, stereotype motives. Um, and, and what stereotype means uh, is that they're common. It doesn't mean that they're universal, uh, but they're common aspects. Uh, that, that oftentimes when the rest of life feels out of control, what I do or don't eat is something that can be mine. Uh, Costin and grab. Uh, whether real or imagined, conscious or not, in one way or another, your eating disorder serves a purpose or a function. We do this for a reason. On the other hand, uh, if you have anorexia or are very restrictive with food, you're more likely to experience satisfaction or even pride in your ability to control your food intake or your weight. I may not be able to control how people treat me. I may not be able to control uh, the level of acceptance that I get from my parents or how I do in school. I can control this. Cheryl Cruz again. She says, at this point, I became obsessed with self-protection and self-preservation. Funny, huh? I was basically near death, and yet I saw self-preservation as maintaining control. Uh, appearance. Uh, and uh, Elise Fitzpatrick, uh, she says, 
Idols create laws that multiply exponentially. So these motives, if we ask what, when, what does Scripture call the motives that lead us to do self-destructive things? Scripture would call them idols. Things that we have given a level of importance that it's beginning to play the role that God should play in our life. And she says, idols create laws that multiply. There's all kinds of rules when I'm worshiping something that I'm not supposed to. And this part of what goes on is the law of diminishing returns is in full force with idols. The behavior will grow and grow until it completely consumes you and you spend your entire life compulsively overeating, binging, purging, or starving. Your God has an insatiable hunger and if you feed Him, He will grow. Uh, protection. Uh, Jenny Schaefer, uh, she describes this one. She says, when I was in the depths of my eating disorder, I'm thin uh, used to be my answer to all of life's toughest questions. Am I happy? Yeah, I'm thin. Am I a good performer? Because she was a musician. Sure, I'm thin. Am I confident? Of course, I'm thin. As long as I was thin, I did not really have to think about anything else. Now, for other people, overeating can be a form of protection. Uh, at some season of life, they didn't like the attention that they were getting, uh, and overeating was a way uh, to be less noticed by others. Companionship. Sometimes we're alone, and we just realize food will never reject us. Food is never too busy. Uh, numb. We don't want to feel. Uh, as Lisa Turkhurst would say, food was my comfort. Food was my reward. Food was my joy. Food was what I turned to in times of stress, sadness, even times of happiness. Idolatry in the case of food means the consumption of ill-side portions and unhealthy choices because we feel like we deserve it or need to feel better. And if you would say, yeah, I think I, I eat to numb myself, uh, then one of the things just foreshadowing uh, is that you'll have to get comfortable with your own emotions and allowing yourself to experience them and to figure out what to do with them as opposed to eating them away. Uh, to compensate, uh, you know, sometimes we just say, if I can't blank, at least I can uh, indulge myself or starve. Uh, food is kind of the perpetual plan B um, that I can fall back on. Uh, achievement. Uh, it's something I can be best at. And I'm not talking here like the hot dog eating contest on the 4th of July. This is usually more with the over-restricting side of things where, again, there's a set of rules that I've learned to play by and I can excel. Or to punish myself. I may punish myself by eating and just telling myself I'm a fat slob and I don't deserve to be any better and this whole process is uh, beating myself up. Or I starve myself to punish myself. But hopefully we can quickly see that, that using food to punish myself is a very uh, non-gospel way to approach whatever uh, shortcomings uh, that we may have. It, and as you look at that, if you go through that list, I think for many of us, our senses, as we see ourselves in that, uh, we tend to feel really bad. Uh, I would encourage you to read the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, as you go through that and you get to this point, because we look at it 
in the Ecclesiastes is one big book of failed motives. And one of the things that we need to realize is that this is the journal of a very wise and influential person. And he could still look back on his life and say, man, there were so many things that I went after that was just vanity of vanities. It was chasing the wind. I went for it and I got it and it didn't give what I thought it was going to. And I love that Scripture has a book of failures. Because there are plenty of times when I need to go through and go, okay, yes, this book is written for me in the here of now, not just when I get to heaven and I got everything figured out. But this, knowing our motives, is a little different from being able to talk to our motives. Uh, like we said, we discuss motives so that we can have better conversations. Conversations with God, conversations with others, conversations with ourselves. Uh, if you read much in the area of disordered eating, uh, there is a theme that they use, or at least a lot of the authors, it's, it's a very common theme. I think it can be helpful as long as we don't uh, take it too far. Is they'll, they'll talk about a two-self mentality. There's kind of the eating disordered self. Uh, Jenny Schaefer in her book, she just names that Ed. Uh, and her whole book is about divorcing Ed, E.D., eating disorder. Um, it, uh, but even the ones that don't name uh, this other self, Ed, they'll talk about that self and a healthy self. And I think within a scriptural picture, uh, we have precedent for this kind of thinking. Uh, there's the Ephesians 4, old self and new self. Uh, there's the Galatians 5, battle with spirit and flesh. There's the Romans 5, sin nature, new nature that we have. Uh, that we can begin to look that between the old man and the new man, there is this perpetual argument. And if I can begin to set my motives over here, it gives me a little bit of distance to be able to argue with them. And as we have that conversation, I really have four options. Uh, in that conversation, with whatever this unhealthy motive or voice is telling me to do, uh, I can agree and obey. I can disagree and obey. I can agree and disobey. I can disagree and disobey. And you see, I give you a little quadrant chart, kind of Occam's razor deal right there. And and here's what I would encourage you to do. Uh, there's a journaling tool uh, that we have. The front of it looks like this. Uh, the back of it has uh, those two charts on it. That when you get to a moment when you're struggling, use this and you'll notice on this journaling tool, it kind of has the different steps laid out there for the kinds of questions that represent the journey where you can begin to capture information that will be helpful for you. Now, now sometimes you, you ask people to do a journaling exercise like this and they go, do, do you think just because I write this down that I'm never going to do this again? Absolutely not. No. This is not a magic bullet, it's not a panacea. Here's what I do think. If we begin to commit to doing something like this, then there is no point when we can face temptation, even if we fall, when we do not begin to harvest useful information that will be beneficial to our next struggle. This is where I say oftentimes we face temptations like a fan instead of like a scout. 
And so if I'm a fan and I go to a ball game, I go to a ball game for the express purpose of multiple times while I'm there, I want to say, wow. I mean, it's why you go to a ball game. Um, and if my teams win, I say, wow and woo. Uh, you know, that, that's the entire experience right there. I've been in a role of coach. When I go to a game as a coach, I go as a scout. I don't go to say, wow. I go to learn. I go to find out, what does this other team that we're going to play do? They can't do anything that is effective against this opponent that I am watching them against without me learning something that is going to be helpful when we play them at some point in the future. That's what a journaling tool does. It lets you come to that moment of temptation, not as a fan who goes, wow, this is so big, so hard, I can never beat this, but as a scout that says, you may take me down this time, but if you do, I am going to learn something that will help me get you next time. And so at this stage in our journey, it may still be hard, but if we will be faithful in doing the things that we're laying out, even though it's hard, the momentum will be changing. We will begin to be honest with people around us. We'll begin to get information that will allow us to be more fruitfully honest so that we are getting the information that we need that with an ever-increasing excellence, we can bring a strategy to bear by the grace of God uh, that will help us steward our bodies well. And when we begin to realize we're not chasing a pair of skinny jeans, we just want to steward our body well for the glory of God, the freedom that that gives, uh, the sense of hope that I'm getting information, that even when I am struggling and it feels like I'm losing, I get what I need to win, helps us a lot.